Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. That's right, boys and girls. You know where you are. You should know who this is. This is Tyler Sheff, and I am the co-host of the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Mike, are you awake? Yeah, this time from Pittsburgh. Oh, my God. Why? <laughs> why, I want to know. Why are you in Pittsburgh? I, I We all know why you're in Pittsburgh. Because but... I had to fly 21 people from Newark, New Jersey to Pittsburgh. That's all who showed up on the plane. Pittsburgh is an interesting city. It's one of those kind of cities that not, where nobody's quite sure if it really matters anymore. But, you know, because compared to Philly, it's often dwarfed by Philly. As a matter of fact, you ever notice that people, there's always something different about folks when they're from, when they say they're from Philly, the community pride of people from Philadelphia is, it's like people from New York. It's crazy. Have you ever experienced that? Yeah. Yeah. And you're either from Philly or, or they say Western PA, I've noticed. Yeah. Those are the people that don't want to associate with the Philly element. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you got a gun, you're from Western PA. That's right. That's right. If you, got a, <laughs> if you got a long gun, if you got a pistol, you're from Philly. That's right. That's <laughs> right. It's all about the caliber. <laughs> it depends on which way you're holding the gun. Yeah. <laughs> so short story as we get this podcast started, there's a new bar in town here in Key West and right next door to my office, ironically, it's an Irish, Irish bars apparently. And they're from Philly. Big shocker there. But a new one? Yeah, they've had some difficulties getting off the ground as far as getting playing nice with other people. It's kind of funny because their excuses, well, back in Philly, it's like, oh, no, man, this is Key West. You can't you can't use the back in Philly thing. We don't play that in Key West. It's like, it doesn't really matter what you did in New York, California or Philadelphia. This is Key West and you better you better tighten up your bootstraps and uh, you're in the South now and you're definitely in a whole new country in town here in Key West. So capitulate, damn it. Oh, keep your brotherly love up there. Ex uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so for those of you that don't know, Mike has been dating and is getting married to a lovely young woman named Janelle. Shout out to Janelle. I wish I had one of those, those hokey applause things, you know, that they do on the, some radio DJs. Oh, please thing. don't. Actually, please I have, <laughs> I actually have that on my soundboard, but I don't know which button it is because I don't have them marked. I know that the podcast <laughs> intro is like the first two and the Key West History podcast is like the next two. And that's about it. But um, Janelle, I want to tell a story today, Mike, about Janelle. She's an, first of all, incredible woman. Love that girl. She tolerates Mike. That's a big plus. It's amazing that girl doesn't drink, but whatever. Yeah, she's good at that. Yeah, yeah she's great. <laughs> but uh, she got you an opportunity, and I want to tell the folks at home about it because I think it's really going to help a lot of people. And my goal here, folks, is my takeaway at the end of this thing, we have, there should be a lot of takeaways, but I really want to send a clear message here that so much more can be accomplished if you interact with government in your local market. I understand that that's intimidating for a lot of people. Mike, we've had that conversation. It's a little freaky. It doesn't seem to bother you, but it was intimidating for me at first. I was the type of person that used to be intimidated by attorneys. Now I'm not used to be intimidated by elected officials. Now I'm not. And I can tell you that for my investing career, that everything changed when I got over that fear or that um, nervousness of talking to my elected officials or getting involved in government. And I know Janelle got you hooked up with uh, a meeting and let's go ahead and give them, give us a synopsis here of uh, the meeting. Yeah. Well, well first off, I, I have to admit something. My tactic of getting over the anxiety of talking to the mayor or, or city council, right. I dress better than them. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I know how they dress. So I just one up them on the dress. So when I stand up, everybody stares at you because you're dressed better than the mayor. I did that same thing in Key West. You know how I did it? Closed toed shoes. <laughs> 
I was the only one there. wasn't barefoot. <laughs> They're like, look at that fancy they boy. They would stare at you for that. Yeah. My they God. Would stare. He's got closed toed shoes on. <laughs> Giddy up. So but yes, seriously, it, it does. It does help though. It does dress to impress. You look good. I mean, it, think about it. Attorneys. I spent a lot of time sitting in eviction court over the years. I learned a lot. It's how I got leads back in the day. And the, I, you can always tell the good attorneys from the bad ones. The good attorneys got their act together. They, they look good. They dress well. They, their suits fit. Bad attorneys walk in. They got their, their six pack gut hanging out. Not the six pack you want. <laughs> the, the, they, maybe it's more like an 18 pack hanging over their belt, a shirt tail untucked, you know, socks don't match lunch stain on their tie. But the, you know, it's a huge difference. You can just tell they're a disheveled mess. And the same is true at these city council meetings. I, I sit on all the ones here in Key West, and I can tell there's people that are sometimes they're, it makes you wonder, right? Um, they're coming to a meeting, and they're going to speak, and they just look like they're a train wreck. So that's a great start right out of the gate. Not saying, guys, that you got to put a suit and tie on, you know, dress to the level you're comfortable within reason. But if you're normally the type of guy that wears, you know, gym sweats with paint on them, might want to upgrade a little bit before you go to city council. I'll leave it there. At least dress like an old man. Then you at least fit in. Right. <laughs> yes. Especially well, you, because yes. you look younger than you really are. People really, people think every time I introduce Mike around town, people are like, ah, he's a nice young guy. I'm like, he's not a young guy. Actually, he's kind of old, <laughs> not as old as I am, but he's still old in his own right. He's got gray hair. He just, <laughs> he just has a stylist <laughs> where I have a razor. You have a stylist. Well, you know, when people walk in the plane, the first thing they look at is who's in the cockpit and does he have gray hair? Yes. Yes. So I got to fix that. Yes. Well, actually, you had a little gray lately. I must have been extra rough on you, but. Uh, <laughs> oh, thank you. I didn't have a haircut. Yeah. I'm looking for that gray hair. I'm that guy. If you look too young, I don't really want you flying my plane. You'll be on Instagram or something. It's, no, we're not doing it. It's true. <laughs> yeah. So how we led up to this, and I think this might be beneficial to the audience, right? Everybody's always asking, how do I get leads? I don't know anybody. You do. Yes. Everybody does. So, but they're hidden in, in special places, right? So Janelle is a dermatologist. So we moved to this small town in Colorado and all of a sudden she's meeting half the town because everybody comes in for their skin cancer or, you know, the pimple on their butt. So she gets to know everybody very intimately <laughs> and, and I, I, it's true. It's sometimes it's awkward when you're, you know, butt naked in front of a you know, good looking lady and she's kind of looking at you and picking all your pimples. So you just talk right. in order to distract your mind. Right. Freakishly well, a lot fast. Of people talk. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's a good listener. Right. So a lot of people just like to talk about their life and it always slips in what's in their currently in their life. Maybe their struggles. Right. Right. Whether they're family, whether, uh, you know, like in this case, mom is having trouble. She can't walk around anymore, but she can't go in an assisted living facility because there's none in town. Oh, boy. Kind of hints like that. Another one was good friends with the mayor. So what I'm saying is if you just stop and listen, whether it's yourself, your spouse, your friend who's just around people, they're out there kind of like your lead magnets. They're out there. They have their feelers out. Right. So anyway. Uh, Janelle had some patients, so she can't tell me the name or the size of their pimple on their ass <laughs> or their tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> well, she came home and she just mentioned, Hey, you know, city council is having this meeting. This specifically, this specific one was the, uh, 
we're trying to bring citizens together to have a group kind of discussion to solve a problem. And that problem is right now, there's a lot of people with either reverse mortgages. And the bigger problem is uh, people literally dying in their houses in the small town. They don't want to leave the town. They love it. There's no care for them, no assisted living facility. So they're literally dying in their house. And the only person smiling in town is the probate attorney going around cash and check. It's, it's sad. It's sad. So anyway, um, she got me into this city council meeting to discuss this with the mayor. Let me give a little bit of context before we go any further on your market. Cause there's a lot of very unique, unique criteria that goes on in your town. Number one, you got, you have a very small town. You're like what? 5,000 people, something like that. Yeah. Okay. 5, 000, yeah. So you live in this, I'll call it a postcard style community. It's something you would picture in like a Norman Rockwell postcard, right? You tend to gravitate exactly. to those places. Yeah. And I don't blame it because so do I. It's like, what do I got to say? I live in Key West <laughs> for God's sake. It's like, uh, we like that. Both of us do. We, we enjoy that type of community. And yours is significantly smaller than Key West by population, no doubt. And in every market, there are inherent challenges. And here is a case where the city government has identified that there is a need. There is a problem that they're trying to fix. And the first thing, folks, I immediately my brain goes to, oh, my God, the government's trying to fix it. That is that Mm -hmm. means if the government's trying to fix it, it's obviously a pretty big problem considering. Now, with that said, that also means anybody that has a a shred of brain power will realize that governments are really not good at solving problems. They're great at creating problems or making problems worse but they're not good at bringing solutions. What I love to hear about your town, especially is that they're bringing together the community to try to crowdsource the solution to this problem. And the problem. So we're clear is there is a a large percentage of folks in the community. I believe you said in the 20 percentile range that are age uh, at advanced age aging, you know, over 55, over 65, however you classify that, that have these big Victorian houses, you know, they've owned these big houses, maybe raised their family, the kids have now left the nest. They're adults. They probably got grandkids. And there's an affordability crunch, number one, right? Because there's not a lot of places for them to rent. Is that true? Yeah, it's a ski town. So it's extremely expensive to live there. And your competition, if you're a tenant, which you're, you're the, you just bought a place, you're gravitating over to the home ownership side of things. But for most folks, it's very challenging for anybody of any income bracket to just pack up and, and move or rent a place in Salida. Is that true? Oh, gosh, yeah. Oh, yeah, people are pounding on the door, but people are having a hard time finding a place that's affordable right now. Right, and that's due to a lack of inventory because of the competition with the ski slopes and the river, right? Because you river, you got the river rafting, remember you said? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, it's the river rafting mecca. Yeah. So whether it's hot or cold, <laughs> you're screwed. I mean, not that it's ever hot that's in Colorado, but there's <laughs> always something happening. It's kind of like Key West, right? Why is it so expensive in Key West? Well, it's paradise on earth. Everybody wants to live here. That's why, you know, there's a reason why Hoboken has lots of vacancies. It's like nobody (laughs) wants to live there. (laughs) The only people live there have to live there. So there is a very, not a very unique problem. And it's any nice place in the the U.S. is experiencing this. You're in Colorado. You've got Aspen. You've got Vail. These are also tourist destinations. Probably have a, a much larger problem in those cities not to take away from your town government's involved. Now they see a problem. There's no place for the older folks. If they get to the point where they can't afford their house, taxes have gone up, right? Property taxes have gone up. Cost of insurance has gone up. We've hit an affordability crisis for these older folks, even the ones that own their homes. So the problem is, let's say twofold. One, they have more house than they can afford to maintain. Two, if they make a change 
in housing, let's say they sell their big house, there's no place for them to go unless they want to relocate out of the town where they've spent most of their adult life. That is a very, very painful point for folks that have in a small town America. That's just how it is. So please continue with the, the meeting. Yeah, yeah. Just to finish that thought, it's just like Key West. Most people here bought into the town at $30,000 and now their place is worth $3 million. Wow. So like you said, they, they have tons of equity, right? but they're stuck there. Right. They, they want to be stuck. They don't, they don't want to go anywhere else, but they're literally broke in a $3 million house. That's so sad. <laughs> I mean, really the same thing as Key West. It is. They have the same issue. Yep. Um, so anyway, I went to the city council meeting and I should say it was full of what I thought would be citizens. Right. But instead, everybody was an employee of either the, uh, the city itself, the county, the hospital, all these other entities. They sent their employees. And then there was Janelle and I. <laughs> <laughs> we were the only ones who weren't employees and obviously were employees in other aspects, but as far as uh, the government is and um, their assisted living facility, what the other problem, I'm not an employee. Instead, I come from a background where we obviously raise investor money right. to convert houses into a residential assisted living facility. So we were the oddballs. Right. And what, what I noticed was this, all the employees they said the last 16 years, we've tried this and it failed. And at this meeting, they want to try that again. Can I interject something so real just, quick? I just have a quick question. Is it? Yeah. Can I assume that this was a daytime meeting, not a nighttime meeting? Oh, yeah. One okay. o'clock. You bet. So for folks <laughs> listening back home, when you have a government meeting that is looking for public input and it is scheduled during the day, that means one of two things. One, oh. the people scheduling the meeting have no concept of reality that people actually have real jobs outside of government employment or two, they really don't want you, your, your input. So they're scheduling it during the day because they know you're at work. Please continue. I never thought about that. Well, yeah, you're right. So anyway, during the meeting, I was hoping that, you know, there'd be solutions coming up, but instead everyone just went around the room and said, we tried this and it failed. We tried this and it failed. And nobody was contributing to a solution. 16 and years. I, 16 years. They would try on the same thing and it failed. Can't get it right in 16 so, years. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Con contrary to my ego, I just shut up. <laughs> Usually the best policy. <laughs> I shut up and listen. Um, you know, Tyler, you, you were at um, Toastmasters and anybody who listens to a speech, what do you, what do you remember that evening? It's the last person. That's right. You, you only remember the last person to speak. So purposely, I just wanted to take it all in. And then at the end of the meeting, boom, now this might, might actually change something. So I'll, I'll share a few stories in here. So the first thing, when I did mention what I do, I, I manage a fund of investors to convert large houses into residential assisted living right. facilities. And then the, <laughs> I remember a woman on the other side of the room, she said, don't take offense but we'd rather a nonprofit do this <laughs> wait, than a wait. group of investors. I love it when somebody says, don't take offense. That means you're fixing <laughs> to get offended. <laughs> Bless your heart. Bless your heart, you <laughs> dumb some <laughs> bitch. That's right. You silly some bitch. <laughs> Here it comes. And of course, she pointed right at me. So my question, boys right. and girls, when that comes up, and because and, I've, ha I've had that before. Well, we want a non, we, we, we would like a non-for-profit. So 
I would agree with you, ma'am, provided you can explain the difference between what I'm doing in a not-for-profit. Are you familiar with the inner workings of a non-for-profit? You get that that just means all the profit goes, trickles down, right? That it's really, there's, there's profit <laughs> because a business can't survive oh, yeah. without it. It's just that we don't contribute to the tax base. How about that? <laughs> exactly. Please continue. <laughs> Knuckleheads. But, but you're right. Everyone's perception is, oh, yeah, we just want a bunch of volunteers. We don't want anybody to make money off this. Right. You know, you, you can't grab a bunch of volunteers to convert a house to assisted living facility and then have them work in there for free. It just doesn't work that way. Well, the people that want the not-for-profits, I'm sure, will volunteer their time to wipe butts. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So that, that, that was the first reaction. But then, I, like I mentioned, I just stepped back and, and listened. And so everybody I've noticed, like I said, everybody's an employee at here. They're employee, but they didn't bring their boss. So all of a sudden they have the opportunity just to air all their grievances and complain. This is the problem. This is the problem. And then they have no ears. They don't listen to anybody else talking. Who's also talking about the problem, the problem. So here's a good exercise for you folks listening uh, to this podcast. What Mike's saying right now is, is very important. You're hearing a lot of people talk and make complaints. And this is, I hate this. And this Key West, if you ever want some entertainment, watch any city of Key West city council meeting. They're available on the city's website. You can download it and watch the Zoom recording. You can hear all kinds of, there's a bunch of theatrics, a lot of, oh, poor me, a lot of remember when. And, you know, it's mm. who's going to serve the rich people their drinks when whatever happens. That's the traditional thing. So when you go to a city council meeting, folks at home, I want you to be, Diligent about not saying anything unless you either have a question or you're able to provide a solution. Because if mm. you add to this melee, which I know you don't do that, Mike, but a lot of folks may get caught up in this behavior and it turns into just a big waste of time. So you go to these meetings, guys, because you're you're there to add value. And just because Mike's got a lot of experience, you know, he this isn't his first rodeo. So Mike can bring solutions in the first meeting, granted. And I get that a lot of you listening to this podcast maybe don't have the same experiences, life experiences and whatnot that Mike or I do. Um, and that's okay. That doesn't mean don't go to the meeting, but that, that does mean go and listen. And when you don't understand how something is working or why it's working, ask a question. No one's ever going to fault you for that. There's always some knucklehead in the crowd that might snicker, but chances are that knucklehead's in a knucklehead anyway. They're an idiot and they're just trying to get attention. So go sit in these meetings, even if you don't have really anything to provide and listen in. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, I was just sitting in the back. I wanted to listen to everything that was said. And at the end, I wanted to shatter the glass, right? Right. Based on everything I've learned that the whole time. So now people understand that I'm listening to them and now I bring a solution. So I've noticed this government, they kind of, they run by numbers, right? They said, okay, we need 362 beds per hour demographer or whatnot. And we want to have a campus with assisted independent skilled, this whole medical institution, because per their numbers, if we just do this one project, it solves everything. And then they can walk away and then it can be another government housing disaster. Right. And I heard that. And obviously it failed multiple times. Thank God it failed because the, the idea just does not fit the community. And honestly, I don't want my mother to be an institution like that. Right. But that's all they knew. That's all they've seen in the past. They've seen Denver do it or whatever these other municipalities. It might have worked for them, but it doesn't work for the small town. So at the end of the meeting, it was nothing but problems, no solutions. So I come up and I say, this town has beautiful, large Victorian houses. 
Mm-hmm. What we're doing in Florida, we're converting these things into residential assisted living facilities. So now grandma can walk downtown. Uh, you know, Mary, you complained you wanted grandma to experience town and still get the feel that she's living there. This is what we provide on a small scale. We don't need government funding. We don't need to beg for grant money. That was another thing they kept bringing up. Grant money will solve everything. <laughs> of course it will. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. So what can, what can you guys, everybody who's listening right here, you guys are mom and pop. We're small scale compared to mega developers, compared to the city, the, the county. Right. All they know is huge developments. But if you start small, if you do change this on a small scale, we're converting houses to residential assisted living facilities, solves a problem. We got six to 10 people. So it's intimate. You have several of these in town and there's a solution. That's right. And now instead of costing, because there's, we're talking the budget. Oh, we need $20 million, but we can't get grant money for $20 million. Of course you can't. They're trying to bite off a much bigger chunk. They want to, they want one facility to fix all their problems. Right. One stop shop. That's all they're used to doing. Yeah. Right. They're, they're not used to mom and pop coming to, coming to the rescue. I see a couple of things here. If I may jump in. Uh, one of the things I'm seeing here. So when we look at a small market, like this town in Colorado, 5,000 people, there's not a lot of infrastructure in the town to support any large scale, anything. For example, if they were to build this big facility, a couple hundred beds, uh, number one, the whole population of the city is 5,000. So I'm yeah. not convinced that the demographics support a hundred plus bed facility. Looking at a map of Colorado, there are some surrounding towns, but their populations are very similar to yours. I don't think there's enough need to support a big box facility, which means it will struggle financially, which means mm-hmm. it will wind up providing less than desirable care and it will be a colossal failure across the board. Okay. First off. So then we look at small picture, right? Could be, could be quite viable for assisted living, but for us being operators or being uh, the real estate guys, not the real estate guys, but the people that are doing the real estate, when we're analyzing a market, we have to look at more than just the need. Okay. So guys, when we do this, when Mike and I look at markets and we've driven all over the state of Florida, looking at different cities involved and got involved with the different city councils, watched the meetings, read the newspapers, joined the Facebook groups, market, picking the right marketplace to do business is very, very important. And it's important that you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater on day one. I could look at this on on a glance and say, no, because it's only 5,000 people, but you can't do that. You got to go beyond that. You number one, what sort of infrastructure currently exists in the city to support the workers Right. Because if they can't, if you can't find a rental, and we have the same problem in Key West, if there's no place to house the workforce, yes, there's a need for assisted living in the town. But the problem is there's nobody to assist the living because there's no (laughs) place to put the employees. And if an airline pilot and a physician can't find a place to live, Mike and Janelle, then, well, they can, but they got to pay thousands and thousands of dollars to do it. What is the $15 an hour? or 30 or $20 an hour, whatever it ends up being caregiver, where do they live? So you have to look at, when you look at these, these properties you think, okay, well, can we house them on site? And Mike, you and I had this conversation with several of the consultants that we talked to with our Tarpon Springs property. What do we do with the third floor? Do we make that uh, housing for the caregiver or do we make it storage? And what a lot of the feedback that we got from operators was we probably would not have a caregiver stay there uh, because it affects the quality of service. Instead, it could be a place where we could have 
additional supplies warehouse could be maybe a little bit of office space or something like that or maybe it would be storage for the folks personal effects if they maybe you'd store your christmas decorations up there whatever it may be it's not as cut and dry as just saying no because it's 5k so with this we're going to have to unpack several things right mike we got to look at who is going to who are we serving and the answer is not the the tenant living there we're serving their kids who are paying the bill or in this case these people and here's where you look at the income viability of this if you're going to open up an assisted living facility in a little town like that where's the money come from to pay you for it to, for the bed that they're going to rent to them well these people have victorian houses are generally not small a couple thousand square foot so what does the average Victorian house go for in that market, Mike? Six, seven, eight hundred thousand more? Yeah, yeah, about eight, nine. Okay. So realistically, you know, a nine hundred thousand dollar house with thousands and thousands of square foot can put a whole lot of four or five thousand dollar beds inside of that facility. So if you've got someone, if you've got ten people, let's say, and they're all paying six thousand dollars a month to live there, to live in a facility. That means you got $60,000 in monthly in gross monthly income, let's say. And we're talking about a high level boutique type scenario. Well, that's fine. But now we have 10 people. We only need one of those 10 houses. We don't need all 10 houses. We just need one or maybe two of mm-hmm. those houses. What happens to the rest of them? Well, guys, if operators, for example, a lot of times will take the asset in, in trade, like, hey, sign over your house. That will cover your $6,000 a month uh, bed rental if it's a nice facility or whatnot. So that's why I say don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Maybe these people don't have kids that can cover the bill because everything's expensive out there in Colorado. Maybe the kids live in Colorado or in California and they're paying 30 grand a month for a crack house in Compton. So paying for grandma or mom to have a place that really is mom, not grandma paying for a place to put mom is not in the cards for them. Oh, good news. Mom owns a million dollar house. House just needs to be liquidated funds put in place, then they're, they're good to go. So you could very easily set that up. So when we're looking at the things, the situations that are going on and the problems we need to solve, then we have to look at the big picture. What are the other arms of the octopus that we need to solve? Right. We, because there are several different layers of issues and that exists in any market you are involved in whatsoever. How do we work through these problems? How do we identify them and then we just chunk them off one by one. Uh, Mike, I know you and I talked about maybe we don't solve the most overarching problem. Maybe because, and this is the thing that you look at, right? Let's say you have a town like this and you decide, well, maybe assisted living isn't for me in this town. Not to say that's not viable. Maybe folks at home listening, you don't want to be an assisted living operator or you don't want to be an assisted living uh, landlord. Maybe you can uh, instead go and provide housing for the workers. Can you buy a vacant lot and put a dish, uh, what they call ADUs or additional was accessory dwelling units on them to provide worker housing. Mike, the house you just bought used to be for railroad workers in the 1800s is now a really cool little house, but can that be done? And now you've provided a solution for one of the issues in that town that then becomes a domino effect to allow other things to take place because right. You can't do an ALF until you have workers, right? Well, you can't have workers until you have housing. So if somebody comes in, let's say investor a comes in and solves the worker housing issue, even on a small scale provides four apartments somehow, maybe they buy a fourplex and they just run it right. Maybe they don't take it as a vacation rental. 
maybe they want more of a solid income. So they, you, you, then you, now you network with people in, around the area and say, Hey, who wants to be provided housing for four workers, four hospital, hospital workers. Maybe it's some sort of a co-living. Mike, I know you talked about the mayor, which I want to talk about that next zoning. How can we work with the local city zoning, county zoning, the mayor's office, whoever it may be to make the zoning conducive to some sort of a multifamily scenario where one doesn't exist now. Maybe your workers, maybe if there's four people that staff your ALF, maybe one big house could be dedicated or one medium sized house could be dedicated for those workers off site somewhere housing, kind of like you guys have crash pads of the airlines, a little different. Obviously this would be more of a residential type scenario, but maybe they go buy a, you go buy a three bedroom house or maybe a two bedroom house with a garage convert the garage into two bedrooms. Now you have four studio apartments to house your workers. That's what they're doing down here in Key West. One of the things they're doing, some of the bigger bars like Sloppy Joe's and Rick's Entertainment Complex and uh, Smoke and Tuna and some other places actually provide housing for some of their key people. And obviously in an ALF, everybody is key people, right? Thoughts on that, Mike? Yeah, it, um, it kind of leads in so at the end of the meeting, I waited for everyone to talk. I brought up the solution, small scale. All of a sudden, everyone was like, at first, they couldn't imagine it because it's a little different concept. Two days later, I speak to the mayor. The mayor calls me up and she said, we've talked about it. We like your solution the best. Keep it small scale. So the mayor calls you. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Those of you listening to this podcast, how many mayors have called you recently? Yeah, there you go. Go to city council. Amen. Yeah. And and like you said, bring solutions. Anyway, so the mayor, when it was the committee, it was just a mob. When it was just me and the mayor, she said, how can I talk to my housing, my zoning department to help facilitate your solution? It's like, wow. There you go asking you how they or she in this case can solve a very particular problem within their own government home run. That's how it's supposed to work. Now, Mike, do you have a a, a degree in real estate? (laughs) Are you a a city planner? No, really? You have no, do you have any prior experience in government? Not this type. Nope. Not no. this type of government at all. Not a civil engineer last time I checked? No. <laughs> okay. So you fly planes for a living last time I checked. Yep. And the government comes to you for advice. So, guys, listen no to this episode. Does that mean, does Mike's pedigree, does it matter? Of course it doesn't. You know why? It doesn't matter, Mike, because you ask questions, good questions. You make people think about what's, happening in their, in the community. Right. So they, they start thinking and they realize that you actually have the ability to think outside the box because you're not in the box. Mm, That's right. And that's what I love. And so those of you listening to this episode, if you really want to get deep into the grassroots of, of your community, don't go in being a whiner, go in exactly like Mike said, look sharp, ask good questions. And when you have some solutions, even if they're micro solutions. You don't have to change the world guys because if these problems have been around for 16 years. I can assure you, you're not going to like be in the shower and go, Oh, here's what you do. And the end, and that's going to be perfect. It won't, that's not how the game is played. 
but now you're getting city government, local government to call you as the problem solver. And Mike, what happens when we become real estate problem solvers? My favorite term. <laughs> and the money flows. Yes, it does. And the, everything flows. That's why they call us the cash flow guys. That's right. Amen. <laughs> and is it, you know, just because we're going down this road in this town doesn't mean that we're even going to do business there. Because we're not there, we're not far enough down this rabbit hole to determine if it's viable. But what's important to know here is that that just because we're not certain yet, we're also not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. We're not turning a blind eye. We're gonna we're gonna investigate this. We're gonna continue having these conversations. Correct. Oh yeah. We're gonna continue asking good questions. I don't know about you, man, but every time I talk to somebody at zoning or a mayor or like the, I know everybody in here, Key West now, mayor, city manager, zoning chief of police, fire chief, I learn something new every time. And That's once true. I realize how little I actually know about how things go on in government, every time I learn something new, it's more information that gets you closer to the next deal. Mm. Fair enough. So what's your what's your key takeaways as far as what you've learned so far, what the problem is. If you can just give me a couple of hit hot points. Uh, one of them, I, I know I'm sure I'm confident with when you say big box, I'm thinking cost of development. Is that true? Oh yeah. I mean, the past 16 years, they kept thinking we're going to have this massive institution. One building will solve all their problems, but it doesn't work that way. It always failed. What's so interesting where- here. And I'm just, thinking out loud they're suggesting this big box facility they have no expertise on the assisted living side of things that would be like us trying to do this without our alf consultant in the on the team or for that matter our our um architect for those of you don't know i mean the investors know because they're there we communicate with them regularly but we have a real estate fund we what we do is we buy and renovate large single-family homes into assisted living facilities in a town called tarpon springs florida on the west coast of Florida, west coast of Florida, if you're new to the show, so we raise money from private capital from accredited investors, folks that are accredited by the uh, IRS or viewed as accredited, and we put those funds together and we go do these deals. And that's and what we do is we we become the landlord. The reason why we're able to build ALS, Mike and I are not ALF administrators. We don't have licenses. We didn't go to college for assisted living. Neither one of us are physicians or anything to do with the medical industry. Closest thing Mike got to the medical industry is marrying into it. Um, Mm -hmm. We surround ourselves with, with experts. We have an ALF consultant. Uh, Actually, we have more than one uh, consultant. We have our architect actually owns an ALF. So we've surrounded ourselves. We've taken some training ourselves. We've surrounded ourselves with experts that advise us on the steps to take to be successful. So those of you listening to this episode, just because you don't know anything about an ALF or maybe group housing or any of, you don't have any of these solutions. If you take the time out to surround yourself with people that may bring solutions, well, then you can profit from that. That's how the game is played. Thoughts on that? Exactly. And it's just from my experience with our consultants in Florida, I just brought that experience there. And obviously it was mountains more than anybody else I've ever heard of before. Over 16 years. Over 16 years, yeah. So you're basically what you're telling me is that you've learned in the last year, diving into the assisted living side of things, not even year, more than the entire populace of your town over the last 16 years. That's right, because I'm able to think outside of the box. Like right. I said, they're stuck inside. That's right. Yeah. 
you're not still hung up on the not-for-profit thing. (laughs) (laughs) So before we wrap up, a couple of things that you mentioned, you said that I want to point out, I think are important is the city set forth very specific requirements of what they wanted. But what I find interesting about that is based on what would be my question. If they have no expertise, that'd be like me specking out the perfect airplane. Well, I'm not a pilot. I don't know how to fly a plane. I don't know what I would want in an airplane. I would rely on Mike to help me with that task because Mike's an expert. It's what he does for a living. He's a pilot and he's also a college trained engineer. So I would rely on his expertise to help me spec the plane. I would not be the one specking the plane. So for the city to get involved, getting specific, you know, that I'm sure that hopefully they brought maybe some experts in, but those experts are probably also the developers who of course are not going to do a little 10 bed facility because let's be honest, there's nowhere near as much money in that as there is in a 140 bed facility. So I find that interesting. And what I also find sad, but interesting is that the fact that the government thinks they can actually solve this problem, because I believe if it's been around for 16 years, that kind of puts out a screaming flag saying, not an easy solution. Haven't been able to pull off for 16 years. What makes you think you can do it now? Folks, America needs you. Your town needs you to solve these problems. This is not a political statement. I could give two hoots about politics. Doesn't matter to me. But your government is never going to solve any of these problems. You have to be the one to pick up the phone, go to these meetings, just like you did, Mike, and ask good questions, sit and listen, figure out who's doing what, where, and why. You're not going to have the answers either. Again, 16-year problem. You guys think Mike walked in there like full of piss and vinegar that he's got the solutions? No. You sat there, didn't you, and didn't say a damn word till the very end. Oh, yeah, though. Whole meeting. Yeah, exactly. Because you can't diagnose a problem. And be careful this, guys. There's a lot of folks out there on the Internet. You know, go on Facebook and get your best advice, right? There's lots of people that like to give advice before they even understand the problem. So you go to these meetings, you sit down, you just keep your mouth shut, and you listen. And then when something comes up, you don't understand, you ask questions. And then, and only then, when you have a potential solution, say something. Parting thoughts on that, Mike? My parting thought is I was the first, I was the first small fry, I would say, who has ever attended uh, this meeting and had something constructive to say. It was quite obvious that city workers are used to, if we're going to talk to somebody on the outside about who specializes in this, we're going to speak to BlackRock. Right. We're going to speak to you know, the, the Lockheed Martins of this industry. You know what I mean? Just the huge, huge monster corporations, the, the Microsofts, the Googles, that's what people think of. And it's speak and all the only difference now was me, the small guy showed up that's with right. a solution that the, these mega conglomerates could not. Right. So I guess a, a parting thought is, you know, we keep talking about city council meetings yes, a lot of people are kind of intimidated by them. But just because you're a small guy doesn't mean that you can't bring something to the table. That's right. That, that was that was amazing at this, at this event. And now everyone's got a lot more respect for the small guy now. So to summarize, guys, to wrap up this episode, number one, you got to go out there and do stuff. You can't just wait for things to come to you. You got to go out there and find it, grab a hold of it, and take advantage of it. Go out there, sit down, and listen. Ask good questions. Take time to learn about the problem and then long before you even think about potential solutions. You don't have to be the person that has all the answers. You just have to be one of the people that is focused on finding the answers. That's the key to making money in real estate or anything that you're doing, frankly. Identify a need and come up with a partial solution or a complete solution for the need. 
Guys, I hope you found some value in this episode and we will catch up with you next week. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.